Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 185 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, episodes 37 through 39, where it's always the spooky child. Yoki's tragic backstory is revealed, and Ed gets a good look at himself. He looks at himself. He's like, look, it's me in the mirror. And then he's, like, he's just Hello, like, and it's a me. <laughs> Did you just say, hello, it's a me, like he was a Mario? <laughs> yeah, like uh, he was uh, Adele. That's why she's the A at the beginning. Right? Yeah, so it's, be like, Adele. It's, it's a me, a Edward Elric. <laughs> it's a me, Adele. <laughs> I'm gonna win. Anyways, let's jump in. <laughs> I'm gonna get the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> Oh man, we're wacky today, everybody. How's it, how's it going? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're here. That's how it's going. Yeah, right. Uh, okay. So, uh, what did I do this week, anime-wise? Uh, I finished uh, the first season of Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, finally. And I got really angry because I didn't realize they hadn't started season two yet of the anime. <laughs> and then I was just like, well, I'm going to have to read ahead in the manga. I said begrudgingly to the manga that I'd love to read. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's what I want, but it's not how I wanted it. Yeah, it's exactly what happened. Like, <laughs> like, like, I was like, I love, I love the manga and I think that it's a fantastic manga and it's done very well. But I've been I've been lured in by an anime that I enjoy watching a lot now. And like I haven't had a good, good anime that I'm just like dying to watch outside of like our normal coverage. Um just yeah. like on my own volition while, you know, eating popcorn quietly to myself at night in mm-hmm. like you know, a a couple of months just because my life is just so incredibly hectic. And then I was like, oh, I have this new one. And then I got to the end of the first season. I was like, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, too, because, like, I think generally speaking, when you read a manga, uh, I find it to be almost always a, a better storytelling experience. Because even anime that don't add in extra stuff, there's just a different pacing with manga chapters. And at the end of the day, unless it's one of those anime that was made to be an anime and not coming from a manga like a Cowboy Bebop, uh, which is pretty rare, uh, at least in the the type of space that we're playing in. For the most part, you're getting anime that are adaptations of chapters and the chapters are shorter. And, you know, as we've said, it's usually two to three chapters per episode. And so you're getting these like story beats that are timed out for a different medium with a different time frame. And I don't know, there's just something, there's something that usually comes through in a, a well-done anime or manga where like the story is like a little tighter pacing and it's just like the artwork is really, it's really good. And it's respectable in a different way. Cause you kind of know, that like this is a person sitting down and drawing it instead of a team sitting down and making the anime, which is no shade to the anime production process, which is its own kind of beast. But it's just like there's something about reading the source material that has this like satisfaction to it that often makes the story feel like 
it's really popping in a way where you're like, even if the anime is great, like, man, this manga is good. But God, is it way more fun to watch the anime? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's such a weird paradox where you're like, yeah, the manga is probably better, but I, I just, I just want it to be fed into my eyes with no effort. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the least amount of effort. It, like, uh-huh. that's, that's like, what we've been clamoring for for so long, just like, please make the dubs good as as good as the subs so that I can stop yeah, having to fucking read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and by and large, they are. Yeah. These days. So, hey, uh, we got to get into these uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood episodes. So, so much. Can you uh, so much to cover on the previously on? Uh, do you? Uh, dear, dear everybody, uh, the the worst slash best Patreon recap of episodes ever done <laughs> was done yesterday during our recording. It, yeah, um, I can it was really I good. can give them a taste of it today, or you could just actually <laughs> give a recap. <laughs> I'm. G- yeah, it was the 15th patron-only episode that I incorrectly noted as the 13th patron-only episode of the yeah, intro. because Blake is almost Here's too what I stupid think to function. <laughs> Usually I just take the phrase from the last time we recorded and I add one to the number that's written there. And I, I think what I did is I took 14th and I subtracted one on accident without thinking about it. Yeah. I didn't check my notes. Yeah. You're, so anyway, you're sorry, making, patrons. You're making my point. <laughs> well, you know, I gotta play the hand that I'm dealt. You were like, all right, ten plus one equals nine. I did it. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, you wanna hear about Full Metal Alchemist? <laughs> I'm afraid if you give a summary, nobody will know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, little blonde man and metal boy. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't they call it that? (laughs) It's more sense than full metal alchemist. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So there's these two characters. One is little blonde man and the other is metal boy. (laughs) Little blonde man is Edward Elric. The metal boy is his younger brother, Alphonse Alric. Uh, Ed, Ed lost his arm and leg in an alchemical accident when they were younger. Al lost his whole body and is just a soul bonded to a suit of armor. And uh, they are on a quest to get their bodies back uh, through the magic of alchemy, which is similar to real world alchemy, which is a concept, but not like a real thing. Um, I guess you could probably do it with some chemistry, but I don't know at that point that we're calling it alchemy. Um, but, uh, in, in this universe, you basically take, you know, sort of somewhat magically take the, uh, chemical composition of one thing and reshape it into a different thing. And, uh, they tried to make a human come alive again and it, it backfired spectacularly. So now they are on a quest to fix all that. Uh, they thought that they would need a Philosopher's Stone to do it. The Philosopher's Stone is a uh, somewhat mythical object uh, that has become awfully common these days um, that allows you to bypass some of the rules of alchemy. Essentially, you have to 
um, it's called equivalent exchange. You have to give up something of equal value in order to get what you want through the process of alchemy. The Philosopher's Stone allows you to bypass the equivalent exchange. And since what Ed and Al want are to retrieve their body parts, or in Al's case, their entire body from the sort of like, I don't know, afterlife, I guess, uh, the Philosopher's Stone seems like the key to getting that done without having to like make a human sacrifice or something, which they're not really willing to do. Uh, unfortunately, the Philosopher's Stone is made through human sacrifices, so it's sort of uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And uh, they have really uh, turned on the idea of using a Philosopher's Stone and come around to the discovery that the bad boys are trying to use the Philosopher's Stone uh, and or make new ones and that they are not chill with that. Um they have a childhood friend named Winry who Ed and Al, or no, uh, Ed and Winry have like a thing for each other. And Winry is his uh, mechanic. So his prosthetic arm and leg, she's the one who provides that and, and maintains it. Um, there's this real son of a bitch named Kimberly who is, uh, he's actually voiced by Eric Vale. I saw that in the credits today. So, uh, if you want to go back a couple years in our, our, uh, listening and listen to our interview with Eric Vale, I don't think we talked about Kimberly in that, but he is Kimberly. Uh, he's also trunks. Uh, he was a really nice guy. So, um, Kimberly is, uh, is a, is a bastard man. And he is just like one of those. One of those guys who's like, I'm in the military because it allows me to kill people uh, with impunity and I want to be as sadistic as possible. And he has basically made a devil's deal with the uh, the uh, sort of bad guys in the shadows to work for them. And that has given him even more free reign to throw his weight around and threaten people's deaths with no repercussions. Um, he has shown up to Ed and Al at the, I think, end of our last coverage with their childhood friend, Winry, who is an unwitting hostage of Kimberly. Um, they are at a place in the north called Fort Briggs, which is a giant wall in a mountain pass that is being used to keep out the uh, country to the north of them. Uh, Fort Briggs is run by a woman named Olivier Armstrong. She is the sister of the Armstrong we know and love from earlier in the story. She is, uh, unlike him, she is not very jovial and not very nice. She's a total hard ass. And uh, despite that, she has something of a secret heart of gold, which uh, is a little bit on display here. Um, the true bad people in the shadows are uh, the homunculi. Homunculus is a uh, a human that was created using alchemy rather than, you know, the normal way. And uh, they are at least somewhat immortal. Um, they have been sort of standing as villains in the series from the beginning. Uh, we have uh, discovered that there are probably about seven of them because they all seem to be named after the seven deadly sins from Catholicism. And uh, we have discovered that the Fuhrer, who is the the uh, the top guy, the president of this country, uh, is one of them. He is secretly a homunculus and is secretly working for the baddies. And that's not cool. Um, he also has a uh, young son named Salim, who uh, might be relevant here in a minute. And uh, there's also a terrible, terrible atrocity of uh, cultural genocide that was committed by the protagonists <laughs> before the show started. Um, there was this other uh, racial group named the Ishvalans who lived in a nearby land that I believe was like mildly contested by the country that uh, this all takes place in. And uh, so before uh, before our heroes got involved, when they were young children, 
um, I don't know, about 10 years prior to the start of the series or so, um, the Ishvalans were all but wiped out in a uh, slaughter that was, according to the state, caused by sort of unrest in their uh, in their camps and then fighting against the uh, the the country where this is all taking place, which is a mistress. Uh, what we have learned since then is that uh, it was actually an unprovoked genocide that uh, the military just went in and started killing people. And then when the Ishvalans fought back against them to stop them from randomly killing people, the military was like, see, they're violent. That means we should kill them. And uh, and so they did. And Kimberly was pretty Pretty crucial to that whole thing. There's a guy named Scar who is an Ishvalan who is on a uh, quest to get revenge against any and all state alchemists he could get his hands on because state alchemists, which are the alchemists that work for the Amestrian government, were uh, integral to the genocide in Ishval. And so even alchemists like Edward, who is a state alchemist, but who was a young child and was very much not involved at the time, um, he is on the chopping block as far as Scar is concerned because he is a state alchemist now and state alchemists are uh, the problem. Uh, he and Ed have run into each other a couple of times and they have some bad blood. Scar is also responsible for the death of Winry's parents during the Ishvalan Civil War. And so there's some bad blood there as well. Uh, and ultimately, all of the homunculi are working under the direction of a guy named Father, who looks a lot like a guy named Hohenheim, who is actually Ed and Al's father, but is apparently a different person and uh, is sort of working in the shadows and seems to have like mucho dangerous uh, alchemical powers. Oh, shit. There's also a girl named May from a country called Xing, which is uh, a ways away, who has arrived in a mistress to look for a a way to discover immortality uh, because their emperor wants to be immortal. And uh, she has brought her alkahestry, which seems to work similarly, but in some crucial ways differently than alchemy. And Ed and Al would like to learn about alkahestry from her so that they can figure out a way to circumvent the Philosopher's Stone requirement for getting their bodies back. And also, maybe along the way, stop all the homunculi from whatever the hell it is they're up to. And I think that's it. Okay. Episode 37. All right, episode 37, The First Homunculus. This episode starts out with Ed being like, holy shit, this new uh, automail that I have on is way fucking better than the automail that I didn't, uh, you know, I had on before. Uh, it seems yeah. like he just keeps on getting upgrades as he goes through life, uh, you know, collecting experience, leveling up, um, buying yeah. new... Winry is Beyonce, and she's like, let me upgrade you. And then his arm and leg are what she's singing to, and then she does it. Look, I was making a reference to Final Fantasy, but you make a reference to whatever you want. Um, well... As a gay man, I obviously am going to pick Beyonce. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so uh, the next thing that is found uh, afterwards is that they go down into the tunnels to find these people because um, they sent out a search party to see like where these tunnels led that were attached to the fort. And uh, they had sent them down into darkness, basically. Um, yeah. And they're like, well, they'll come back. And they just hadn't. So they were like, we got to go find them. And when they find them, most of them are dead. Some of the other, yeah, some like of the chopped up and stuff. Yeah. And some of the other ones are like missing body parts, like hands and uh -huh. feet. And they're just like, 
the first thing that they they tell them is like, you got to turn off the lights. It's in the shadows. You have to turn off the lights. And they're like, what? And what you see around them is like uh, big homunculus eyes that are like on the wall and smiles. And, and mouths. Yeah. And it starts to like come up on them really quick. And then it makes a decision that it doesn't want to right then. So it leaves. And you're just like, what yeah. the fuck was that? <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. Uh, we had seen this before, and we had been under the impression that it was killing these people. It's interesting because we don't really know what it is. Uh, although, yeah, you can kind of assume that it's one of the homunculi that we may probably haven't met yet. And uh, it's uh, it's this great creepy moment because you're like, oh, shit, they're dead. We're going to see them get killed. And then it like decides not to kill them for some reason. You kind of don't know why. Um, it's awesome. And then we get to basically learn uh, exactly what it is. Because, oh, yeah. Um, Lieutenant Hawkeye, uh, who is one of our protagonists uh, that has been turned into a de facto hostage by being made the uh, personal secretary of the Fuhrer, who is the secret homunculus secretly working for the baddies, and made her that so that he could keep her close in case he needed to kill her in order to stop Colonel Mustang from uh, circumventing him. Uh, she goes to his house to give him some, I don't know, important papers. And uh, his wife is there and she's like, ah, sorry, my husband's not home. Uh, and Hawkeye's like, well, you know, uh, make sure that he gets these papers because they're important. Uh, and then Salim, his young kid, I don't know, 12, maybe if that shows up and freaks her out because he he totally black swans her and shows up behind her with no warning. And then he's like kind of creeping her out because he she feels some like, I don't know, malevolence radiating off of him. And I don't know her. His mom is like, uh, that's my kid. You, you've met him before. Uh, and then she says something about how he's adopted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, he is Bradley's biological son, but he's not mine. Like Bradley brought him along when we got together. And she's like, ah, I didn't know that. And then she walks outside and she's like, I think that kid is not on the up and up. And then Salim appears and starts talking in creepy voice and is like, you've figured out that I am a homunculus. And in fact, I'm the first one. Uh, and my name is pride and I attack with spooky shadows and I'm always going to watch you from the shadows. So go ahead and never feel safe again. Yeah. Um, then we get a uh, cut over to Kimberly having a conversation with Ed. And he's just like, hey, um, if you want to go out of this fortress and you want to do anything, uh, figure out what's going with Scar and Marco, anything else, and uh, receive this payment of a Philosopher's Stone, you are going to have to come with me in order to create create a big giant blood crest, which is what they use to yeah. create philosopher stones. And yeah, Ed, they, they're going to do a quick little genocide on their way to going and finding some people. Yeah. And Ed is, uh, Ed is trying to connect up with Alphonse, um, to, to number one, tell him that, uh, that he's about to, he's about to leave and he needs to, he needs them to know what's going on with him. And he needs to uh, express to them uh, who Kimberly actually is, because uh, the the person uh, Winry got to seeing Ed and Al on basically like a 
uh, a hostage trip with Kimberly while she wasn't aware that she was a hostage. Um, and yeah, he's like super nice and charismatic to her yeah. because she doesn't know that he's a bastard man. Yeah. And so when, when she gets over, um, uh, uh, during Ed's conversation, she gets basically locked up with Al without even realizing that she's locked up with Al. And, uh, <laughs> Ed goes over and he's just like, Hey, I'm going to go and, uh, do this thing because I have to with Kimberly. And it's involves some, gen- you know, quick genocide real quick. Um, yeah. but don't We're worry take about a that quick trip to the genocide store. Yeah. And, uh, after he leaves, Al is just like, he was explaining something without explaining it. He would never actually do this. He's just trying to get away from, uh, where we're going. And he, uh, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't want us to follow along basically. And, uh, when he's like, fuck that, (laughs) they just get in the car with him. (laughs) I know. I'm just like a normal mechanic and you guys literally wield magic from your hands. Uh, but I am going to insert myself in this situation. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, uh, Edward is, uh, also banking on the fact that like Kimberly wants them to find scar and Marco, because he has been tasked with finding Scar and Marco because father wants them found. And Ed and Al know that the girl May has teamed up with Scar. And so they want to find Scar because May is there and May has Alkahestry and they want to figure out why Alkahestry worked when Alchemy didn't when they were fighting father a ways back and is maybe Alkahestry or some combination of the two the key to sort of like breaking this whole thing open and not needing to kill a bunch of people to make a Philosopher's Stone and therefore not needing to use the Philosopher's Stone to get their bodies back and etc etc. So like they're going to go along with this plan because it happens to align just enough with their plan that they might be able to do their plan instead and uh that'll push them into episode 38 yeah so episode 38 conflict at boss school um so this episode is uh it 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 gives us one of the funniest uh moments that i've seen in full metal alchemist brotherhood so far um oh yeah so first and foremost it's going to start out with uh hawkeye and must mustang talking mustang has just received a um a a uh, i guess it's just like an undercover operative that's talking to him about information that he needs um and who works as a flower salesman yeah and the the payment that he gets uh after his payment is just like a fuck ton of flowers um Uh uh-huh and so uh meanwhile uh uh in boscoll ed and al and winry show up they uh shake off their guards really quick so they can look for who they're actually after um which is going to be may marco and turns out there is another person with them and his name is yoki oh and yoki has a backstory that he would like to tell you um and (laughs) it is from the perspective of uh a cartoon villain from Scooby-Doo um, explaining uh-huh. how everything they did was right and everything the protagonist did was wrong, even though what they were doing was basically enslaving a coal mining town um, underneath yeah. a, the guise of the military. And uh, 
<laughs> What's actually great about this is this is one of my favorite episodes from early Fullmetal Alchemist that does not appear at all in Brotherhood and is referenced here. And in fact, when they tell Yoki's backstory, they put it in this sort of like old movie style sepia tones with like some uh, some old film overlay stuff on it. And they play it out like a silent movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think they do this in part so that they can steal the animation from the original series and not have to make new ones. And it is genius. But also, I love this episode. The The basic premise is that Yoki is using his might as a military official to get the deed of this mining town. And he wants to basically work these workers to the bone as coal miners to enrich himself. And he is giving them almost basically not enough money to live on. And when Edward and Al show up in town, he's like, they are state alchemists. State alchemists are all also selfish people out to just make a quick buck at the expense of whomever. And they know how to transmute substances from one thing to another. So I am going to convince them that my plan is dope and that they can get rich by helping me get rich by turning all of this coal into gold. And Ed and Al pretend to be assholes like him and turn the coal into gold, except that it's just fool's gold. And they convince him that they've turned it into real gold so that he will sell them the deed to the town so that they can nominally exploit the workers. And then he discovers that he has been had. And when he goes to confront them, he finds out that they actually gave the deed to the townspeople. And now Yoki has no power here and the townspeople totally beat him up. And that is the beginning of his backstory. And then the rest of his backstory is news to me, which is that he is left destitute, that he is wanted by the military because even though a lot of them are bad people who are trying to manipulate situations for their own personal gain at the expense of others, uh, you're not actually supposed to do that. And so when that is exposed, uh, he is placed, a reward is placed on his head. So he starts running around trying to make money in various ways. And he's like telling the story and he's like, I had to use all of my savings on an investment, but it didn't turn out well. But the investment is actually a roulette table. And then he says, he like goes to some wealthy friends to ask for some assistance, but you see that he's actually like trying to burgle a wealthy family. Yeah. And it is just this delightful sequence of events that is extra delightful. If you know, the episode from the original series that got cut from the brotherhood adaptation. Also the house that he is trying to rob is just the Armstrong estate. <laughs> oh my God. It is. That's what it is. I, I can't believe I didn't realize it. I thought it was just like a, a comically buff group of women, but you're right. It's the Armstrongs. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, so after that, uh, Ed and Al um, uh, are paying basically no attention to Yoki, by the way. They're just trying to talk uh-huh. to May about what's going on while May fawns over Alphonse. And then- oh, yeah. Yoki's like, that's my tragedy. And now I want revenge on you because it all started with your involvement. And Ed just goes, yeah, life is hard sometimes. And it turns back to everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they're trying to get the information for May. Then they find out that uh, that Scar is somewhere else in town, and they see an explosion. We've also seen at the same time that uh, that Scar is over um, in some other part of town looking for food um, and uh, and other kind of I, I assume other things as well, like uh, equipment or medical supplies and stuff like that. 
But he is accosted by two soldiers. And the soldiers, you think, oh, these are just normal buff soldiers. But it turns out that they are chimeras that have the ability to transform. Um, they can turn from just like yeah, their normal is, selves into uh, Pigman. And uh, this is actually interesting if you think about it because a Pigman. <laughs> Yeah, they turn into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles characters. Yep, yep. Uh, um, they uh, they are they, they are literally uh, Bebop and uh, God, what's the other guy's name? Rocksteady. Right? Yeah, they. Yeah. That's who they are. Um, but they, it's interesting because there's that very, very tragic and very well-known episode early on in the series where uh, the uh, father turns his daughter and dog into a daughter-dog fusion, um, and. That is all about figuring out how to make chimeras with human traits. And now we see that somebody has cracked that code so much so that these guys appear to be human, but can morph into giant monster chimeras. Yeah. Uh, It also is revealed later on that when they uh, had this, I don't know, operation done to make them into chimera people that their families were informed that they had died and they have basically been stolen away as like secretly alive monster agents since then. And they have some emotions about that. Yeah. Um, In this episode, there is a, a a couple of sweet sequences of fights. Uh, You should definitely watch them if you have time. Um, There's a, there's a lot of spitting and uh, a lot of shooting out of big, uh, big, big spike things. Um, And yeah. And then, uh, Oh God, you're the worst. Um, And then Uh uh, after, after they, uh, uh, well, an important thing that happens as well is that Scar, before Ed and Al show up, he is uh, unfortunately outmatched because they are um, kind of playing to one of his weaknesses, which is that he has to get into strike close in order to fight them. And they are uh, specifically two chimeras that can fight with long range weaponry. Um, and so he is uh, outmatched and outclassed in this situation. Yeah, they're. They're playing Tamari in the Naruto fighting game. And yeah. And being annoying. And uh, so Scar is pretty severely hurt in his arm. Um, and then Ed and Al show up and they are able to uh, subdue and knock down these, uh, you know, uh, Rocksteady and Bebop. Yeah. Um, and it's really cute how they do it. Because Rocksteady and Bebop are like, we are your allies. We were working together. And they're like, we don't know you, scary monster man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, there's there's a great moment so as well good. where he, like, transforms. And he's like, I'll show you. And then he starts to transform. And, uh, and uh, uh, Ed is just like, surprise, I didn't need to see you transform. He just punches him out. And then he <laughs> freezes the other guy to fucking Alphonse's metal back. <laughs> And yeah. he's just like, oh, God, my skin is ripping off. And he's just like, I call this technique uh, tongue on a cold metal bar. <laughs> <laughs> and Al also uh, did not clear it with Al first. Al was like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, so uh, so before Scar uh, does his normal exploding escape thing, Winry is going to confront him uh, because obviously she knows that, that Scar killed her parents. Um, and then uh, when Scar creates a uh, explosion and tries to escape the, the issue that he's going to, um, the issue that he would have is that he doesn't, he's, he's not 
he's not in a good position to escape cleanly. Um, and so uh-huh. what he needs to do is he needs to take a hostage. So he takes uh, Winry as a hostage um, and uh, Ed goes and connects back with Kimberly and explains like what happened and how they were dropped by Scar. Yeah. Uh, we will also see that back at Briggs Fortress, the uh, there's this really actually the completely charming moment where the uh, rescue party from the tunnels returns to the surface. And when they went down there, they were like, the other party hasn't come back. We think they're probably dead. And we think that the fact that they're dead probably means that there's some nonsense in these tunnels that we don't want getting up into the fortress. And so if we're not back in 24 hours, you need to cover this uh, entrance with cement and leave us for dead. And uh, Armstrong is like, yep. I am a hard ass. You can trust me. And they get back and they're like, it's been more than 24 hours. There's no way. Let's go ahead and knock and see. But like, there's no way we know. We know how strict she is. She's definitely covered it with concrete. Like we are basically dead. And then they knock and then the the door opens and they come out and they're like, I thought it had been more than 24 hours. What happened? And uh, the guy that's like there in charge of, of, I don't know, the crew that's waiting for them to get back is like, oh, uh, it hasn't been 24 hours according to this watch, as you can see. And he holds it up and it is a broken watch that does not advance in time and just sort of like the second hand is stuck and just ticks every second but doesn't go forward. So the watch just stays the the same time all the time. And he's like, yeah, Armstrong gave this to me right after you guys went down. And then big boy is like, oh, she's so sweet. And he goes to be like, thanks for saving us. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, And it's this really great moment. And then troops from Central arrive and want to take over command for, of Briggs. So that's not great. Yep. And, and then that's episode 39. Yep. Episode 39, Daydream. This episode uh, starts out with a thing that I do not like in anime, uh, which is flashing uh-huh. back to the previously on episode. Um, <clears throat> something that in this day and age, I don't think happens nearly as much just because most people are used to a different style of watching. But used to happen yeah, in anime. It really well. Here, I don't know. I I never enjoy it. I I well the the point here is to give you the cliffhanger at the end of episode thirty eight that Scar has kidnapped Winry mm-hmm. and that somehow negotiations between Ed and Scar broke down and resulted in Scar escaping and kidnapping Winry. And this episode is showing you what happened. Uh, and so I think it's I think it's a a pretty solid storytelling device here that's being used well, but I guess I can see if you don't like the storytelling device, this isn't going to convince you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, then Winry, there have, they have a, a pretty intense thing that happens, which is, uh, Winry has to confront scar and then also decide that she wants to, uh, do the right thing with scar, which is, I don't know. It's it's like it's so important to her that her parents would have taken care of this person no matter what and who they are, because I'm assuming that, you know, because they were healers as well, they took a Hippocratic Mm -hmm. oath. And so um, no matter what, she also has to take care of him because it's the right thing to do. And that's what her parents would want her to do, even though they were killed by this man. It's just, yeah, it's a very intense thing that she has to make a decision on in this moment. I just, and there's this kind of 
there's this kind of gorgeous symmetry too, where like Scar, she starts healing him and Scar is like, does this mean you forgive me? And she's like, no. And I probably never will, but this is what my parents would have wanted. And so this is what we're doing. And then a little bit later, enough later that it almost feels weirdly disconnected, but is so thematically relevant. Scar remembers having a conversation with uh, an older Ishvalan man that has been sort of like helping him out and giving him some sage wisdom on maybe how to more effectively deal with moving on from this horrible atrocity that was wrought on their entire people. And Scar is on a a genocide revenge mission and the older man is kind of like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. But like the thing about an atrocity is that like, there's no forgiveness for it, but that doesn't mean that you can't make it right by like moving forward in a productive way, essentially. And he remembers this conversation from the man trying to give him advice on essentially choosing a different path than killing a bunch of people. Um, and uh, here he is now on the receiving end of being the killer and having to sort of like grapple with the fact that this woman to whom he has committed this terrible act is treating him with kindness and is not offering him forgiveness, but is offering him mercy and it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, um, there is also uh, a connection that's happening um, with uh, uh, Miles uh, explaining to Scar um, that why he joined the military in in the first place. Um, so, explain. Miles ex- is Ishvalan. Yeah. So, ex- explain really quick how how Miles connected back up with. Scar. Yeah. So Miles, Miles is also Ishvalan and uh, is of course, therefore carrying around that sort of genocide tragedy uh, for himself too, because it was also his people. I think he's half Ishvalan or he says he's Ishvalan through his grandfather's side. Um, So he is, uh, I don't know. He might have a little bit of passing privilege, but he is, um, he has uh, Ishvalan features enough that he, like, I don't know, in a previous episode, he explained that he wears dark glasses to hide the fact that he has the red eyes that are sort of um, telltale of Ishvalan heritage and stuff like that. So he he has a, a deep and somewhat unavoidable connection to that people and therefore to that tragedy. And Scar essentially is like, how, how could you, as somebody with Ishvalan heritage, join the military that with that like senselessly slaughtered your people and miles's response is essentially like the way that i figured out how to make a positive change in this world was from within and i decided that being outside of the military that did this would not give me a voice to speak but being inside of the military that did this and being being that person that could have these conversations or that could reveal to people that the person you've been working with and the person that you respect is a part of this race that has this sort of like mixed history with you, then that is the way that I want to bring about positive change. So he's, his story is tying really well with Winry's story because Winry is offering that opposite of scar. I'm not seeking revenge. I have you where I want you. And if you were me, 
and the roles were reversed, you would kill me because that is the path you've taken. And I am instead choosing mercy. And I am going to literally save your life. She notes that his arm injury is bad enough that if she doesn't do anything, he will die. And Miles offers another perspective, which is, I don't think that revenge is going to do anything. It's going to perpetrate the cycle of violence only. And instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to change people's hearts and minds one at a time through my own actions and my own life. And I'm going to do it from inside the house. And it's really fascinating. And of course, there are some real world parallels that uh, offer some maybe more philosophically complicated conversations. But in this moment, it is this really, really fascinating conflux of uh, Scar being confronted with alternate paths and having to face the fact that like he has made himself a murderer in response to murder. Yeah. So um, that that leads to three things basically happening at once. Um, and all three of those things are going to all point towards Briggs. So every uh, like every party that's attached to this is going to start making their way to Briggs. It seems um, Al is going to be traveling uh, above ground, separated from Ed through a blizzard. There's also like this weird moment where he has like a flashback to his body. Um, I, yeah. I couldn't tell if it was like a flashback. It's it's really weird. Um, and then yeah, it seems like the kind of thing that might happen to a human. Because when your body gets really cold, some weird shit can start happening in yeah. your brain. But Al is a disembodied soul. Uh, so I don't know why this happened. I don't know why he had this connection. Uh, yeah. But he's he is going to warn their friends because their plan is that they are all going to meet back up at Briggs. Yep. And Ed and Al are going to circle back with Kimberly to try and throw him off the scent instead of just disappearing and causing a manhunt for all of them. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to try and find a way back to Briggs because Briggs is a safe place because Armstrong is cool. And then they find out that Briggs management has changed. And it is a state alchemist that is in the pocket of the Fuhrer, who is of course, one of the homunculi who is who Ed and Al are trying to work against. And so Briggs is no longer a safe place. And Al is going there to warn their friends that they cannot go there anymore because it's no longer a safe place. Yeah, and he but has this weird vision. Yeah, but May and Marco and Scar and Winry and everybody else are already on their way. <laughs> um, so right. it's it's sort of it's sort of too late, and the cat's already kind of out of the bag. Um, also, on yeah. a side note, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady have joined Al. Um, so oh, right. Cause yeah. they were like, you should just kill us. And Al was like, nah. And they were like, yeah though. And he was like, no. Yeah. And they were like, well, you should. And meanwhile, and he was like, well, don't you want to be human again? And just like in beauty and the beast. And they were like, guess. Yeah. And, uh, meanwhile, father is shown to be making a suspicious pa- plan suspiciously. Um, and that's, that's basically that's it. awfully suspicious. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> stick with us after these credits and we'll talk about what's coming on next week. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind podcast network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 13 sound wizard. 13? Did he jump even more levels? He gained a lot of experience by defeating the Dark Lord of Smooth Jazz. Do you mean Chuck Mangione from King of the Hill? Rashad is the King of the Hill now. Damn it, Bobby. Anyway, our podcast is ad-free, and if you want to keep it that way, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. 
Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. Also, we have a Discord server. You can find the links to that on all of our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New review episodes come out every Monday, and new rewatch episodes appear every Friday. And hey, thanks for listening. Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, owner and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind. We interrupt your awesome, regularly scheduled programming to ensure you're aware of the Geekly Grind podcast network, of which this show is a treasured member of. If you haven't had a chance to check out our site, you can do so at thegeeklygrind.com, and while you're there, take a look at the other members of our steadily growing podcast family, including the anime-centric Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, discovering new heroes on comic book keepers with Chris and Lance, exploring the vast universe of geekdom with Geeksploration, or appreciating animation's finer details with JD's Ink and Paint Club. Escape your weekly grind. At the Geekly Grind. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, we're watching Mob Psycho 100 episodes 11 and 12. Yeah, these episodes are just, you know, what you would expect. More ridiculous episodes fighting against a shadow organization uh, who's trying to completely destroy the world through psychics. That's not, that's not what everybody else is dealing with. Uh... Okay, mm. hold on. I gotta go get more spoons. What's happening at FedEx? 